Hello and welcome to the Vicar's Watch Dibley. The podcast where three priests link our stories to those of a Reverend Geraldine Granger Kennedy and other TV vicars. I'm Kate. I'm Jenny. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Dawn Roma French from the 80s. We can't believe it. Today we have been talking to the wonderful Dawn French about all things Dibley and lots of other things going on in her life. So have a listen to our amazing conversation. Hello. Hello. What a flipping exciting blooming day. I can't even control oh, myself. Don't know how to oh, keep no. it all in. I haven't oh, got no. it from my excitement. Oh no. We you, you all know what we're doing this episode. We just yes. teased it. Um, but before we do that, what have we loved this week? Aside <laughs> from what we've just recorded. Um, well, shall I start? Mm. Yeah. Um, because it was announced this past week that I've got a new job. <gasps> Woo! Um, and the weird thing with with vicar stuff is that this has been in the pipeline for ages. I mean, Kate and Jenny have known about this for quite a while, but it was finally announced that I'm off. Um, well, to not even be a vicar somewhere, but to be a vicar somewhere. Yeah. Um, my role is going to be interim priest, and I'm going to a place called Hebden Bridge and Hettonstall, uh, which is in West Yorkshire. So that's oh, really, exciting. really exciting. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, we're all moving as a family, and yeah, it's bonkers, but mm-hmm. it's really, really good, and I'm really excited. And it's partly the fault of this podcast that I've <laughs> realised how much I've missed doing the kind of other vicarin stuff. Mm. I get to do a bit of it here, but um I wanted to go do it again. So yeah, I'm off to be a vicar. But yeah, and we will thing. follow you. Well you probably have to stay well, in yeah. your parish yeah, that's you're a vicar that's off. We could do a swap. We could we could do a do a weekend we swap around. Around. <laughs> That'd be fun. That would yeah. be fun. <laughs> Confuse everyone. Yeah. How about you Jenny? What's something you've loved this week? I can't think about anything. I've tried to think about something. I'm so overwhelmed by what's just happened. All I've got is a candle and I love my candle. Okay. <laughs> something I've loved this week is a candle. I like, I just, I, I have to process because of what's to come. Dear listener, you'll understand in a moment. Mm. I've, I just love candles. Mm. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm losing loved... it. I've lost it. It's okay. The thing I've loved this week is yesterday I had a day where I felt like a proper, proper vicar. Um, that's because I did the whole spread of pastoral ministry in the morning i did a wedding rehearsal in the afternoon i visited someone who um, has a relative who's at the end of life and in the evening i did a baptism visit Um, wow at the end of the day i'm a vicar (laughs) i talked to people about faith and god and had to not tell people that we were going to be recording with dawn french (laughs) (laughs) Um, we've been keeping really quiet about this um a while ago um we said um people had asked us about it and we'd approached her and she'd said no um we didn't think it would happen but then we we asked her again yeah she said yes yeah the reason we haven't been bigging with up is because we didn't believe it was real <laughs> it's true i think, I think do yeah. even now because of titting about i think she was like i'm already on about a million podcasts i'm mm. podcasted out girls it's not going to work out and then as we came to the end of this you know series because we are at the end now of the vicar of dibley this is the mm. big conclusion we said is there any chance and uh how gracious how generous of her to say oh god Give, give my PA a, a dropper a note and I'll see what I can do. Yeah. So um, you're about to listen to some dreams coming true, some fangirling out of control, some trying <laughs> to pretend that we know what we're doing. Um, but some All beautiful... from Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is so cool apart from me. Sorry about that. Um, but it was one of the best hours of our life. And yeah, we really hope you, you enjoy this interview um, and uh, this time with Dawn that we've got coming up. The original Geraldine Granger. Thank you so much for doing this for us. We, uh, When we first started this podcast, we were like, wouldn't it be nuts if we asked Dawn to do mm. it? And she actually said yes. So the fact that you're here yeah. is... I can't believe amazing. you do such a thing. It's crazy. <laughs> that you do it. I haven't listened to it. I have to admit that. <laughs> Don't worry. Shocking. 
<laughs> Appalling. Have you not done your research? <laughs> I haven't. I never do any research. I'm just crap at it. I didn't do homework very well either. But I probably will now. I probably will now. Listen back. <laughs> just to check not what to we this said. One, but to the others. Oh, <laughs> bless you. Fab. Well, um, uh, to introduce each of us, you can see from our mm-hmm. names. I'm Ruthie. That's Kate. That's Jenny. Um, we are all vicars in different places. In fact, mm-hmm. it's just been announced that I'm taking a new job. So I'm actually going to be a vicar because I'm not really one right now. But anyway, um, okay. and we started this podcast because um, uh, we love the vicar of Dibley. And mm-hmm. for lots of us growing up, it was you were the first woman vicar that we saw. And we didn't see yeah. any others. Um, and so we started this podcast to talk about it and have just ended up talking mm-hmm. about pop culture and um, TV vicars and what's it actually like being a vicar as part of it mm. and you know the bonkersness that comes from it and actually some of the bits that people think in Vicar of Dibley never happens actually does happen um, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, to talk about that all with you so we've got a, a list of questions to go through but we're happy to just be led by you if you want to say Can I ask attention. you first of all just to be nosy where, where yeah. are you all based then? I'll start uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm based in Herefordshire, um, just on the border of Wales, in um, five rural parishes. Okay, five. Yeah. Black. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, scary. I'm um, in Peterborough Diocese. I'm in Ellsbarton, which is like a little village between Wellingborough and Northampton. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. And I live in Rotherham. <laughs> so... <laughs> But I am about to move to go be more of a villagey vicar. So I'm about to move to Hebden Bridge in West Yorkshire, uh, which is affectionately known as the lesbian capital of the UK. So I'm very excited (laughs) to uh, to go move up there. But yes, one of the things... Did you meet each other? Did you train together or something? Yeah. Yeah. That's how we met each other. So Um, yeah, back back in 2014. But we've been doing the podcast for about a year and a few months. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, but we met, um, it was... Like it was the first night we all had moved to college, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And yeah, we just really clicked because, and it was just really nice to have um, lasses the same age as us, really. Yeah. 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 Did you share digs together then? Um, no. And uh, well, no. First year, none of us lived together. Me and Kate lived together yeah. in second year. Um, and then um, we all moved off to different places. But what's really mm. lovely about college is that because you're all there and it's this really intense learning experience, you have these really close friendships with people who get it. Um, mm, yeah. So when you're off at, in Rotherham and you're down in Herefordshire and you're mm. at, <laughs> near Peterborough, like going this person is being an absolute nightmare. How do I deal with them? You mm. go, yes, I had one of those the other week. This is what yeah. we do. Okay, mm. so you share and help each other a lot then. With Definitely, them. yeah. Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and Jenny actually married me, so. I did, oh, yeah. yeah. And it was my first Happy wedding as well. you or a friend? <laughs> <laughs> Sadly. I sure only got to me. myself in the past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was so, a great day. Yeah, 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 that was great fun. How lovely. How yeah. lovely. Fab. Um, cool. Are we all right to, all right. to carry on? Up? Whatever you want to fire at me, fire at me. I had a look at the questions and I'm yeah, willing to answer anything. Anything. Great. Oh, Marvelous. That's amazing. Jenny, I believe you're kicking us off then. Yes, I will if that's okay. Yeah. So we uh, well, as Ruthie said, absolutely love the Vicar of Dibley. Um, we wanted to know, were you nervous to take on the role, knowing that it was a bit of a contentious issue? I've just been doing a bit of research in my own. Um, so the first episode came out 10th of November 1994. Oh, right. Um so <laughs> <laughs> did you remember? <laughs> I, I was gonna say I want to take you back to 1994. Were you nervous to take on the role knowing that the first woman bishop had uh, sorry the first woman priest had only just been ordained earlier that year in March what was it like at that time starting to record and getting into a character that could potentially be a bit uh yeah contentious I suppose yeah I mean it's funny isn't it that I didn't think for a second that it would be that contentious because the church law was now law so and in fact Richard had approached me about this prior to that And so um, it had been cooking up for a little while and he and I had been working a bit on the scripts. So it felt like a long time coming. And of course, we had to wait for 
um, the synod and for all the laws to be passed for us to be able to go ahead, for it to be authentic, if you like. So I I didn't really think that it was going to be such a big problem because the the problems had already happened whilst the process of the law was happening. Uh, But I was very wrong about that, very wrong. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't nervous. I was ready. I was really ready. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, The thing I was nervous about was taking a lead role in a sitcom because sitcoms are Mm -hmm. notoriously um, high failure rate. You know, there's a lot of very bad sitcoms and very few good ones. They're kind of rare as hen's teeth. And, um, you know, I'd been involved in um, the the um, development of a few that had kind of gone by the wayside. And I just thought, mm, I don't know if this will work or not. And, um, you know, it was it was trying to live up to being a kind of dad's army ensemble thing mm. and I just thought it's you know big shoes to fill in terms of mm. good sitcoms could we pull it off but if you could pull it off with anyone you would be able to do it with Richard Curtis and with mm. Paul Matthew Archer mm. and so yeah I was really ready and I I, I have um, spoken about this before but the fact is that I I if I was nervous about anything um, besides being in a sitcom at all I actually didn't know if the character would be funny enough Mm. being the kind of center being the fulcrum for everybody else um I just thought she's a bit boring she's she's the kind of (laughs) she's the sort of good one she's the decent person she's um she's a bit of a good egg and everybody else has got all the gags so I really I was a bit jealous of everybody else's parts you know I thought I could play Mrs Cropley more easily I could play Alice more easily I could Mm. see with the jokes for that. Um, and I wasn't sure about playing her. And in fact, I was humming and hawing about it and um, being a bit of a blitherer to Richard. And that's when he, who knows, he knows me very well. <laughs> he said, well, we do have a list of other actors who'd be very interested. <laughs> and he started to say to me, oh, you know, Alison Steadman might be and Mary Margulies he bribed you he pushed me really and it was a good thing to do thank goodness yeah it's like anything when it's taken from you you suddenly think oh actually no I don't want anybody else to do this Mm. and then I jumped in so by the time I jumped in and made all those decisions actually dealing with some of the um, more contentious stuff um, more political stuff if you like when it went out just felt like we were on our, you know, I was in a, a band by then. I was in a tribe. Yeah. Um, just of our show, but of women in the church, you know, mm. and I, so I felt a kind of, um, I never know if righteous is the right word to use. I think I get that word wrong a lot. Um, but the right kind of, um, I felt justice, you know, oh, that we were, that's yeah. awesome. we were doing the right thing. And so there was nothing that was going to stop us then oh my gosh that makes me feel so proud and a little bit teary <laughs> we warn you jenny may well tear up have a bit of a cry thank you <laughs> i tend to have a little tear on too <laughs> yeah and i i don't know if you you really you realize just how um how much of an impact you have had on i think particularly young female clergy mm. um you know as we said for us you were what female vicars were um to yeah. us um and you're very much a reason you're to blame for us being where we are. <laughs> it's your fault well, yeah. well, you know, I'm, I'm just an actor you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> the people that would have done that mm. um you know and I think Richard always had you know he had an agenda for this mm. and it was the right mm. kind of agenda and he just he knows the power of television Television normalises things very easily. And so long as it's funny enough, people will come with you on the journey and then start to forgive all the things that they have the worries about. And, you know, it starts to just um, be easier, if you like. But we did have our... We did have our um, measure of hate mail. We had, you know, Mm. some strange strange kind of uh, challenges... Um, but oh, it, it dissipated pretty quickly. It dissipated yeah, brilliant. Quickly. And where where the show and politics kind of um, joined was always of interest to me. And you have to be very careful. The BBC is very balanced. 
And, mm. you know, there were things that we did that pushed it and yeah. we got trouble mm. for certain things and we were criticised for going too far with certain issues that we were supporting and clearly supporting. And then weird moments happened, like marching on Downing Street with all the women vicars that joined us from Trafalgar Square all the way down to Downing Street and going in and meeting with Blair to talk about Make Poverty History. Oh, and I was yeah. the only person not in a collar. I was the only Ford there. <laughs> and yet I was the one talking and it was very, you know, not the only one, but I kind of kicked it off. And we had a very good meeting. I thought, this is fascinating. You know, this is telly. It's a, it's, it's a TV show. Yeah. But, but it was okay to push it that far. And it's okay to lend the power of a, of a good character to, um, to something that is undoubtedly the right way forward. You know, why not? Yeah. And, and on that issue about the character stuff, when I was worried about how, how sort of rather revoltingly decent she was um that's when Richard listened and I said she really please needs loads of flaws you know that's what interesting when we think of all our favorite comedy heroes they are people that are in you know they are Basil Fawlty who's Mm. massively impatient yeah or they're they're vain or they're lusty or well you know whatever it might be (laughs) we've got flaws and she won't be real unless she's got flaws so let's use the flaws for the jokes and he totally went with that and that that me made it then possible that she wasn't just the only sensible person in the village if you know what I mean (laughs) on occasion she had to be yeah Um, but she was also a, a flawed human being who made her own mistakes and and sometimes was picked up by those you would imagine were bonkers, you know, the the other parish councillors and stuff, the, the yeah. mad ones, you know, were the ones who taught her the lesson. And that's a, that's in itself is a lesson. Yeah. yeah it's one of the things we talk a lot about on the podcast, actually, is the flaws of Geraldine Granger and how that just humanised her. And it's interesting that you've talked about actually the humours added through that. Mm. And it just makes her a lot more realistic because either... Uh, vicars can be put on the kind of super holy pedestal over here or they're the villain in Midsummer Murders you know they there's the, this yeah. kind of two they're either a goody two-shoes or evil villain and yeah. you're the, the character of Geraldine like takes from both uh, well as far as we know she's not murdered anyone unless there's something <laughs> coming up soon <laughs> um but actually to have that character that's flawed and makes mistakes and and does things publicly is um is really refreshing to have well definitely. all credit to this babe yes well. yeah, yeah. Mm. joy carol is an extraordinary woman and she permission gave me uh, to push it a little bit further. Not, not mm. she didn't practically do that, but by being who she was and supporting us the way she did and informing us and allowing me to come and talk to her, be with her, ask her any questions, um, be a kind of consultant and be an advisor for all the serious stuff, you know, how to dress the altar for particular times of year and oh, what we say and what we do, you know, things like the practical stuff like that. Um, helping us to get the animal service, you know, with the correct wording and, you know, all of that stuff. And what to wear, when and how, you know, all of that. But more importantly than that, to go and visit her home. And, um, um, you know, when I saw her empties lined up, her <laughs> <laughs> many, many bottles of empty wine. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> okay, this is, okay. this is a woman, you know, who lives a real life. Yeah. And, I was able to ask her, you know, intimate things, you know, what yeah. do you a boyfriend, do you sleep with your boyfriend? Do, do, do parishioners know? What do you, you know, what time do you, when, when do you put the collar on? How do you wear it? You know, all the, all the, what do you earn? What, yeah. you know, what, you know, what can you do? What can't you do? You know, who judges you? What do you use the church premises for? What, you know, what are you allowed to do? What, who's judging you? Have you had trouble with, uh, men not wanting you to be in this job and so on. And she answered everything and, and always has done and always and is a firm friend of mine. Oh, and, she, and she also rooted it, all of her advice and all, all of her presence, which is all over that show, 
is rooted in her faith. Mm. You know, and that was something we had to not forget about the mm. character. Yeah. yeah. You know, very easy just to make her a person or a funny person. But, you know, we had to make sure that all of everything that she did was rooted in something she really genuinely believed in. So Joy allowed me to ask her questions that I'm sure you guys get asked all the time about, you know, what, what do you believe and how do you believe it and mm. why and how long have you and what about this then? What about that injustice? How do you square this and that? All questions that everybody involved with the church finds very difficult to answer, I guess. Mm. But she she had answers for me that were massively convincing. And I just thought, yeah, look at her. She's sitting squarely in her faith. And um, and when I met Kate, uh, uh, you know, when she came and did Comic Relief, I had the yeah, same brilliant. experience with her. I thought, oh, yeah, look at you. Yeah. Modern and forward thinking and lefty and kind of, um, but but squaring all that with her, with her work and with her beliefs. Yeah. Well, if, if you need three others <laughs> yeah. to fill that role, <laughs> then baby, we are here and we're ready. Always handy. <laughs> um, we were fortunate to meet Kate a while ago. She agreed to come on a podcast with us and uh, talk to us about, um, yeah, all the kind of conversations, that, uh, some of the conversations that you had as uh, to the comic relief specials. And I think um, what you've just uh, Going back a little bit, what you said about um, Make Poverty History and the comic relief stuff, um, I think Kate's got a question um, that relates to all of that. Okay. Yeah, so one of big Geraldine's big character traits that grows throughout the series is her passion for justice and the various causes that she supports. So we're wondering what the causes most um, passionate to your heart are and whether you'd like to talk about them. Okay, Um well, obviously, Comet Relief is a massive part of my life. Mm. And we were there at the um, beginning, um, you know, and the beginning really was prompted by Live Aid. You know, that's what yeah. the musicians were doing. So the comedians really were challenged to try and come up with something. And again, Richard Curtis and Lenny and, um, you know, Griff Reese jones at the time and Chris Evans and us and Steve Coogan, you know, loads of mm. people kind of kicked it off. And it's a commitment. Yeah. And I was I was um, curious to know if it would if it would continue, and if the baton could be handed on to the younger comics because that's the only way it could have a life really. But every year, or now every other year, is when we do the actual TV show. But in the interim year, we report back um, or do a sport relief. You know that that yeah. happened well, um, and it has continued, and it means that really what we can do is what we hope we do best, which is give our comedy skills for the night, but very much um, guided by Richard, you know, um, but Richard hands out jobs to individual shows and will, you know, it's constant. He's the one who push, drives it without a doubt. I think it drives him mad as well. You know? <laughs> I think if you were to look at every year, I would think nine months of it for Richard is unpaid comic relief commitment. Wow, wow. wow that's so impressive. Very unsung, and and mm. that's why he's such a TikTok chap. Oh, yeah. Lovely. And he does constantly have to ask favours of everyone. He's constantly sort of kowtowing to people, and he's making sure that if they're making a series of a Gavin and Stacey, that they put a little bit of time aside, even though it's, you know, a year ahead. Yeah, bit for comic relief and so on, and he very he's very good at persuading us all to write to the banks because banks are very, you know, banks have a choice of which charities they're going to help out with the, even with the counting of the money or the acceptance of the donations, and they're they're tip top people in boardrooms decide each year you go and you sort of audition your charity. Wow. For them to decide which one they will take, which is the sort of sexiest one that year and which isn't mm. and so on. So there's a lot of persuading and letter writing and all this sort of stuff that goes on with Comic Relief. And I feel very committed to Comic Relief and um, and I and I feel um, very kind of loyal to it, if you like. And as long as it goes, I'll keep going with it. So Comic Relief is one thing and Comic Relief mm. covers a whole load mm. of things because there's charities in this country and charities abroad, obviously, and, and Comet Relief also reacts to various disasters and things yeah. that are going 
wars and things that are going on in the world. So I'm very committed to that. I, I also am involved with various little things, but one of the things that I feel very strongly about is, um, and it's a, it's possible, that's why it's so tantalising, is to end female genital cutting in our mm. lifetime. And I'm involved with a, a charity called Orchid, and Orchid was started by a friend of mine called Julia Malaraj, and she's not there anymore, but she um, she started it, and I'm still involved with it. And it's a tiny charity, but that's involved with lots of charities on the ground in Senegal and in all parts of different parts of Africa, and um, and uh, and in this country where there are mm. people from various different cultures that this practice still continues on our own soil however illegal it is mm. and it has taught me so much this charity because of course you know it's a barbaric thing as far as we're mm. concerned you know no doubt about it but you can't go into other cultures and tell them that things that they've been doing for hundreds of years thousands of years in some cases is barbaric mm. when, when it's a social more and it's uh, and you are ill-informed about why it happens and so on. It's not actually a religious practice mm. at all. It's a social more. Imagine that. Mm. You know, just like foot binding was yeah. for thousands of years. But foot binding ended once everybody understood how dreadful it was. And once once people decided for themselves not to do it anymore, ended very quickly. Mm. And that is what is happening. The movement against cutting. Uh, of young girls is ending but it's ending quietly because you can't go in and you know yeah, privileged yeah. western people can't go in and go stop doing this we don't like this practice you what you do is train people on the ground and you inform people about um medical issues you and you know you go and talk to the imams of the villages who then who are uh, fascinated in civil rights even mm. which don't in their villages and of course if your girls in your village are not cut they can't marry people from the next village yeah. so it's, it's a massive shameful thing but mm. unless there's a kind of ripple effect and it's so wonderful to watch it there's so many abandoning mm. ceremonies going on wow which orchid is involved with and of course if this village abandons the next one does and the next mm. one does but it has to be the decision of those people so the trainers yeah. go in live in the village for 10 months and they don't bring up this issue. They talk about irrigation, they talk about commerce and they're all trained with this. Mm. But then they start talking about medical issues, health. Um, and then it, this is introduced and the fact that women die in childbirth, but, you know, because they're sewn up and it's all very, you know, it's so hideous, all of it. Mm. And the men who, and it is men that are in charge of the village, are horrified when they realise what germs can do and what, yeah. you know, how this has affected their women, all this. They don't want to hurt their women, but mm -hmm. it's just that they've been brought up to regard this as the right thing. Anyway, it is changing. And as far as I'm concerned, this is one of the most exciting movements that I've ever witnessed and that I'm, mm -hmm. you know, in a small way. Back here, my job is raise some money, push money into there to train more people. I'm not, I, I can't go there and wag a finger, but mm. my job is to be here and to just keep the subject alive. And I went yes. along with various other agencies to meet some judges at the Old Bailey uh, a few months back. And that was fascinating, just see what the law is in this country. Because whilst it is, and it is, you know, against the law to mutilate well, they don't use that word because it's got judgment all over it. But mm. whilst it is against mm. the law to do that to any young girl, you won't get young girls or teachers in schools telling anyone about it because mm. it's their their mum that yeah. would prison, their dad, you know, yeah. so family. It's a very complicated issue that has to be addressed with cultural um, know-how. You know, it has to yeah. be informed properly. Um which seems from a distance, you just think barbaric mutilation, end it now and put anyone who does it in jail. That's that's what you jump to immediately. That's what I used to jump to. But mm. now I learned more about it. I think, oh, it's more sophisticated. It's more, you know, there's more concern and care to be fed into this. But it is happening. It is yeah. happening. It's brilliant. So that's, that's a cause I care a lot about. 
you can tell you just yeah, yeah. shine yeah, up and yeah yeah we've yeah. gone very off track for Vicar of Dibley but it's so yes. lovely to hear about Orchid and uh, yeah we'll definitely go and uh, find out more about them um, now our list order of questions has gone yeah. completely out the window but <laughs> oh, that's cool matter. we'll just roll that's with it <laughs> Um, I wondered about recently you reprised your um, Vicar of Dibley uh, character role for a well, was it called a f- funeral? Funeral? Fun? Oh yes, funeral? I did. Yeah. Oh my god, that mm. was phenomenal. This is yeah. a woman known for a while called Chris Hallinger, and Chris has got—I mean, is it stage four? Is it stage three? I can't remember now. She's got breast cancer anyway, and has had it for a long time, and has mm. been fighting it for a long time she's she's a twin she's young she's vibrant she's amazing she um decided to kind of arrest her uh treatment herself so she has informed herself about herself so she doesn't she hasn't for a long time just sat back and passively had whatever somebody told her she should have she's in, she's found out what she could get and she's gone up to london and got a different kind of treatment here and different yeah. and she's lived a long long time much longer than anyone thought she would and in that time she's used her life in the most extraordinary way and she um along with others she founded copperfield mm-hmm. which is a, you know the breast cancer charity raised loads of money saved lots of other young women's lives yeah um frankly so her life is phenomenal um, but she said she called me up and she said, you know, I'd met her a few times and been massively impressed by her and by everything she was doing and by her kind of just her life affirming presence that she had. Mm. Um, and she said, look, I I don't. And she'd been to lots of funerals, obviously, because she's involved with lots of people who are poorly. Um, and she said, I don't want to have that kind of funeral. My family will have to do that. I want to be at my funeral. Mm. be there I want I've got things to say and I've got things I want to hear if people can say fantastic things about me I want to hear it Um, (laughs) I want to have a party she's a proper festival kind of girl and so that's why she invented this idea uh called a funeral and um initially I was a bit god oh god this is tricky Uh, but she's in in league with these people called legacy of lives who help you to kind of set things up um, so that when you conk, you just hand over to them and they know exactly what you want doing and so on. So with them, she she arranged this phenomenal thing that yeah. took place in Truro Cathedral. And it was yeah. kind of halfway between a funeral and a, and a festival. And, mm-hmm. you know, and there was DJs and rappers and gospel choirs and uh, speeches, amazing speeches. I mean, I, I, you know, I've never been in the presence of the person whose funeral it is with their mm. coffin right there that you, she wanted everyone to wow. do the sign. Wow. Oh, it it yeah. was extraordinary. And her twin sister speaking to her, her best friend speaking to her, people that she's worked mm. with thanking her a lot and her getting up. And it was very irreverent. In a lot of ways, it was very cheeky. Yeah. Um, and she asked me to open it as the vicar, as a surprise for everyone. So I had to be kind of hidden away. And and it was odd. It was so odd. I had to find my castle. <laughs> I had to find all the gear and kind of had to rent uh, a mantle. I had to, you know, I had to get all the stuff together and thinking, oh, my God. I've forgotten this. And my very best friend in the world is a girl called Jerry McNulty. She's my BFF. Yeah. And she played the part of the woman who came into the church when the marriage was happening between Hugo and Alice and stopped the wedding. <gasps> oh, no way! That's so good. She did that as a bit of a favour. for oh, brilliant. She's been oh, an terribly actor. sorry. Wrong church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's Jerry. And so I said to Jerry, I will open the funeral talking about Chris, yeah. but I'll be talking about the wrong Chris. Yeah. I'll be talking about a man called Chris. Yeah. <laughs> to come in from the back and stop it and say, you are at the wrong church. A bit like she did. Brilliant. Amazing. So good. We did that. And it was great because, of course, it was a surprise to have her there as well. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so we started in, you know, with a few jokes. And Paul Mayhew Archer helped me, actually. I, mm. I called him and said, look, I've got to do a little bit of an opening. I can think of a few things, and this is my idea for it, but write me some gags. So so he did. And yeah. um, 
And it was a, a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. I mean, you know, it seems like a weird thing to say, but I can recommend having your own funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Having it before. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a common thing, I think, at funerals, is families always say, oh, our loved one would have absolutely loved this. And that's how you know that it's been right. And thinking along the lines of kind of like, uh, I don't know, thinking about life after death even, but I loved what you said about Joy and how you, you were able to talk to her about faith stuff. Um, we were wondering as well, has Geraldine as a character influenced you? And I think we're particularly interested in what about your faith and spirituality, if you don't mind us asking. No, I don't um, mind. What does that look like for you? And and what was the impact of that? Has it lasted, uh, especially when it comes to yeah faith and belief and stuff? Yes. I mean, you know, I was raised a Christian, I think, um, my, but in a kind of very loose way. My parents weren't churchgoers particularly, but wanted us to go to Sunday school slightly think they wanted us to go to Sunday school so we were out of the house on a Sunday morning if you know what I mean really? yeah. <laughs> uh, it's that, it's that old thing isn't it you know parents yeah. get a chance to get together on a Sunday morning when you <laughs> talk about Jesus they're um, <laughs> not RAF family and so we lived yes. in lots of mm. camps all over so we went to lots of different Sunday schools and stuff and I loved the stories and I loved it all and I went to a an ex-convent school there were no nuns there by the time I was there but I I went to St Dunstan's Abbey in Plymouth. So church was part of it. We started the day with assemblies and prayers and we ended the day with prayers in the chapel. I was a boarder, so, you know, we'd have the little chapel. It was a very um, bonding thing that we had mm. and I definitely had that, had that faith. That's how I was brought up. Um, but more so in a kind of moral kind of compass way, I think. Uh, I don't think my parents were... Um, I don't think they... I don't think they were brought up particularly with faith. I think they just thought it was the right way to be. My mum was extremely mm. spiritual and really did, did believe in the afterlife and believed in an ongoing um, spirit, if you like. Um, there was that. Um, but then something sort of changed for me. I mean, if, if what we're talking about, but Geraldine teaching me stuff, yes, Geraldine taught me a lot about things that I know are my faults, like patience, I'm not great on that, hubris, you know, some things like that, forgiveness stuff, big stuff. Mm. Um, but for in my own faith, um, a curious thing happened, which was when my daughter was due to go to secondary school, um, she's not an academic, my daughter, at all, and I wanted to find a kind school Mm. um, that would appreciate the things she was good at which was art and music and stuff like that and not to belittle her or diminish her in any way and the school that I found that was local to me that was good at that was a Quaker school called Leighton Park Mm. where I lived Mm. so I thought all right what is this all about let me try and find out and it was a big eye-opener for me um because you know the headmaster at the school was Jewish you know and I thought oh oh what's that then I thought I thought it was a Christian tenant here what's going on uh but actually it's very open you you probably know more about this than me but you know it's very open um there's Christianity at the heart of it but it's it's much more about the God in me respects the God in you mm-hmm. whatever that might be so it's very um, inclusive and mm. good and especially good for education um, oh, for people who are struggling a bit because Quakers believe that everybody's important, that it's, of course, it's great to have neurosurgeons, but it really matters to have carers as mm. well. And we, we need to value everybody the same. And so we need to find the stuff that people are good at and encourage that rather than this rather typical British education where you make people feel a bit ashamed of what they can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's about finding what they can do and not making them feel so bad about that. Anyway, I loved all that, but it meant that she was raised for those years in a kind of Quaker tradition. So she learned mm-hmm. how to sit quietly at the beginning of the day. Wow. When they started at 11, it would be five minutes, you mm-hmm. know, and it would go until then in sixth form, they can do an hour at the beginning of the day. Quite often just fall asleep. Uh, but um, and I really liked this and I started yeah. to get involved with it. So then I became a Quaker. How amazing! Mm. I am by convincement mm. as much mm. as anything. And so, 
you know, I joined uh, Quaker meeting houses wherever, you know, wherever my local chapter was, that's, that's where I go. And I actually haven't been since COVID because we've moved house. And obviously COVID was, Quakers couldn't meet. Lots of people mm-hmm. couldn't, people of all yeah. faiths <laughs> So I just didn't, it just didn't work for me online. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just didn't work. So, um uh, and I've moved house and I've yet to find my local place. Mm-hmm. And life gets in the way, doesn't it? I've got an uncle who's quite elderly and I only get to see him on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And so I, actually, that is the Quaker way. Yeah. After about going to the meeting house, it matters more to go there. Mm-hmm. And I can, you know, I'll pick up on all that another time or I'll mo- somehow I'll move him to a Saturday when if I can and we'll do that on a Sunday. So, that, so that's where I am mm-hmm. at the moment. Amazing. That's really interesting. So mm-hmm. did that kind of, uh, well, how old was your daughter when you started Vicar Dibley? Oh, gosh. She came to the set, I remember, when she was oh. about four. I think she was about four. So, I mean, she was born in 1991. So you know better than I do when the first episode was. Oh, 1994 in in November. Yeah. Yes. That was so when it was released. So, three. Yeah. Oh. Kind of, we started. And I have to say at the time... I was doing that show and Lenny was doing a show where he was a chef. And when she went to school, <laughs> when she went to junior <laughs> school, and they were talking about the parents and what parents' jobs are, she said, oh, my mum's a vicar and my dad's a chef. Oh, <laughs> that's so lovely. She hadn't worked out. <laughs> she hadn't worked out what acting was. That's you so know, great. Yeah, she visited me on the set and saw me in my dog collar and she went and visited mm. him on a set and saw him cooking. And that yeah. so why wouldn't she assume? Oh, that's brilliant. Obviously, sweetheart. But yeah. oh, great. Um, so going back to the set and going back to that time, are there any kind of moments that you filmed that really particularly stick out to you, or or favourite kind of memories from set, or or like when you're asked about things and going, you were on the Vicar of Dublin. Which bit are you, are you always asked about the puddle? Well, Yes, I mean, I, yeah. you know, what happens is my memories are coloured by what people remind me of, and they always remind me of the puddle. They always remind me of the Christmas dinners. Yeah. You know, the, people's favourite things became become stronger in my memory because mm-hmm. I'm reminded of them more often. But I would say that actually my happiest memories, really happy memories, of course, puddle and stuff like that is good fun. But my happiest memories are all the parish council meetings where we were always all together around a table. Mm. And it was always very funny and it was very shared and very equal and it set everything up. The only person that was missing then, of course, was Alice. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the rest of us would be together in those meetings, and so that was always very good fun, and um, and everything to do with Alice. Actually, obviously, she, what, what she missed out on at the beginning of an episode, she gained at the end when we oh, had, yeah. you know. So, yeah. uh, and I think that that um, show it's about many things, but one of the things it's about is that female friendship. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you know, it's a love story between those two characters who learn a lot from each other. Yeah. yeah. We we talked about this recently in an episode mm-hmm. about the developing relationship between Geraldine and Alice. And at the beginning, Geraldine's kind of a bit more like, oh, yeah, here we go. But by the end, like, there's such a bond of friendship there and such a, yes. a strong relationship. And I think it's it was... We were talking about the marriage episode and... Um, uh, it, there's something like um uh uh Geraldine um uh, talks to Alice and and you know asks if she looks beautiful in her dress and all that kind of thing um and and then uh, Alice asks if she looks great and she's like yeah you look a million dollars or something like that and there's no like a yeah you look great for an insane person but actually <laughs> yeah. just uh you look well we see the, that's the interesting thing about Alice if you've got to remember that Richard Curtis also wrote um um, what was it with Baldrick? What was that show called? Blackadder. Oh, Blackadder. 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 Yeah, he wrote Blackadder. So he's very good at writing a, an insane person, a mad yeah. person <laughs> at the centre of things. Uh, but I think that Emma Chambers brought so much more to that than just adult, if you know what I mean. Mm, absolutely. Complete other kind of thinker, completely alternative thinking, complete innocent. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so much in that character. Do you remember that character in Being There that Peter Sellers played? You know, that taught... That's a film worth seeing. It's oh, I haven't a seen that. It's a film. 
um, with a, a sort of savant at the center of it who teaches everybody something. And that, in a way, is what Alice is there for. You know, and she played it so beautifully. She didn't just take an easy step into being an idiot. Mm. It was much more than that. You know, it was somebody with a properly huge, big, good heart, yeah. you know, and everyone else trying to be so cool or moving so fast, having to learn a bit of a lesson from Alice. Although maddening when she <laughs> didn't understand stuff. <laughs> but watching her relationship with Hugo and pushing it together. Oh, so good. Gorgeous, just gorgeous. Yeah, so, yeah moments with um, Emma became favourite moments and we were very good friends. So well, we were all yeah. good friends, I have to say, on there in different ways, you know. Different yeah. Ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you can tell that from those parish council meetings that actually, you know, this is a group of people who actually get on outside mm. of set as well. And, and I don't know if you ever saw the um, documentary that they made. I think it was on the kind of extras on one yeah. of the... See um, or DVDs, um, and that shows mm. us as a group yeah. of friends. You know, meeting mm. for an hour, kind of read through, and what it was like before the audience came in, and just supporting each other a lot. Mm. And there's a very um, <laughs> there's a funny thing that Paul Mayhew Archer, who co-wrote the group, is very important part of it, and a, a bit unsung um, sometimes, not by us, but by people who forget that he was there. Um, and he and Richard worked very well together. And Richard would say to him, Look, I, I, could you go off and write 10 jokes about the window so that we can, um, you know, I, I, I need to reshape the story or I need to drop this out or do that. Could you just do that? He would just come in with loads and loads of jokes all the time. Wow. But there was a hilarious moment where it was bring your son to work day or whatever that is, you know, go to work with your dad day. And so his young must have been 13-year-old son, Simon Mayhew Archer, came in to the read-through with him on this particular day. And Paul Mayhew Archer, who is a delightful, slightly nerdy man, who's actually got Parkinson's now, and I've never seen somebody so cheerfully accept his diagnosis oh. of Parkinson's. He's written a whole show about it that he does in Edinburgh. He's remarkable. But anyway, oh. uh, back then, he, he brought his son to work on that day, and he was the only one who, who did. And so we welcomed this young teenager <laughs> the read-through. And Paul started behaving very oddly, not like Paul at all, just trying to be like a bit of a geezer. And showing off to his son. Oh, sweet. Letting his son see that he matters at work and that everyone respects him, and which we do. Of course we do. <laughs> yeah. But he took it far too far. And he put his feet up on the on the um, table where we were having the read-through and had his hands behind his back like this. Pontificating <laughs> a bit. We were all kind of like, what? He's being a bit of a twat. <laughs> he did it so much that he fell over. <gasps> and um, anyway, there, I mean, we all laughed a lot. And I could see he was very embarrassed. It was hilarious. But anyway, the next day he came into work and he said, wow, that backfired, supremely backfired. He said, I was in the car on the way home and my son said to me, Dad, honestly, you are such a fuckwit. <laughs> and, and so he became known to us as fuckwit. Fuckwit. <laughs> And Simon Mayhew Archer is son of Fuckwit, who now writes his own sitcoms. Oh, brilliant. Sitcoms. Amazing. So, you know, delightful things like that happen. So my mm. memories are things like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Oh, great. And what about, so all these years where you have been the TV vicar to people and the character has, I guess, followed you around. Yeah. Outside um, of actually playing the role, I imagine you have had people coming to you thinking you are the vicar yeah so what are the best encounters weirdest encounters you've had well, that's I, happened I, have, I mean I have had people ask me to marry them um <laughs> you know and you think mm, I can't actually <laughs> <laughs> um I, I have had asked people asking me to turn up at weddings and funerals and stuff mm. And I've never really, I turned up at someone's reception once, not in the gear, but just as me. Mm. Uh, I did that for somebody that I knew. Um, and I did this thing for Chris recently, which I was honoured mm. to do. Um, but I've asked people to exorcise, people have asked me to exorcise their homes. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah, bless their wow. baby. You know, yeah. you think, 
please see the difference. Between- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm not actually a vicar. Mm. Um, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, I sorry. <laughs> so that part of it does follow me around a bit. I mean, w- one of the joys that I would say has followed me is that, especially during COVID, when everybody was hunkering down and looking for comfort, lots of people told me that they rewatched it. Mm. And that it was their friend, you know, mm-hmm. and lots of people have told me, you know, my mum was ill with cancer and, you know, in her last few months, that's all she wanted to watch and stuff. So that tells me that it was a bit of um, a comfort blanket for lots of people, mm. for lots of reasons. And I and I understand that. Mm. So if there's a, a joy about it that follows me, it it's that. It's mm. that, you know, that it was such a... A happiness for lots of people and it certainly was for us who were part of it but it seems to have had a legacy which yes. I can't take any any um uh, uh, uh tribute for that I can't I, t- I can't take the credit for it at all but I was part of something that I'm very proud that I was part of something that mm. has lasted in that way that so that does follow me that yeah does, yeah yeah <laughs> We get emails from people who who have found this podcast and say those kind of things that Vicar of Dibley is their comfort blanket, that it's what yes. they watch. And, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, so um, I think sometimes I think about this, like, are we being kind of stereotypical Church of England, just a bit behind with the times that we're mainly <laughs> talking about TV series from the uh, mid-90s? And actually... Yeah. Maybe sometimes, yes, but mm. for other people, it is that nostalgia, and it is, yeah, a comfort blanket. Yeah, I don't think it. It doesn't seem to date too much. No, I mean, it maybe doesn't. Maybe well with time, but do people tell me that their kids are watching it? I mean, the way mm. I know is because people will shout at me sometimes mm. on, <laughs> on a plane or at an airport or at a whatever in yeah. a supermarket. Quite often, getting the name wrong, which always. Oh <laughs> really? Scary. People go, "Oh, vicar of dribbly, dribbly." <laughs> That's brilliant. But okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. I take all of that quite happily. No problem. So good. Oh Fab. It's already been mentioned, uh, and we've realized this is probably gonna be our first explicit episode because we wanted to talk to you about twat. <laughs> and yes. French is a twat and twatting it okay. out. Okay, well, are you a bit careful with language? Or I've already Oh well, we knew this would be the case if we wanted to ask you about all of this that you've been (laughs) doing. Because I know when we first contacted you, you said you had a big book that you were finishing, and is this the one that's that's coming out now? It is. Um, I've been doing a tour, which is called Dawn French is a Huge Twat, (laughs) and I did it last year to to kind of dip my toe and see if I enjoyed doing it, if it worked if the audience enjoyed it. Um, I did a one-woman show called 30 Million Minutes um, in 2015 Yeah, for a couple of years, and I got terrible vertigo when I was doing that show. So oh. I didn't risk that again. It's something to do with the darkness of the audience and the bright lights on me and being on my own on stage and stuff. Uh, something about that set my brain off. So I have to do this show in little bite-sized chunks so that my brain can deal with it. Um, so I did, uh, I think about 40, maybe 50 shows last year and I'm just about to go out on tour again. Mm, with it. Yeah. And it's a way really for me to talk through a career, but kind of backstage, you know, so you might see me in Harry Potter, but I'm going to tell you what happened on the filming of that and what an mm. idiot I was. And I've been <laughs> really? in many, many ways in my life, as we all have. Yeah. And I just found it so liberating to be able to own my mistakes. Yeah. It's a, you know, we're, while we're all busy filtering ourselves and selfieing and mm. all of that, you know, we're forgetting about all the other stuff, which I delight in. I love my friends who say, you'll never believe what I said to so-and-so, you know, all their faux pas and their mistakes. That's what makes me love people even more. It's how we connect. You know, it's a mirror up to ourselves. They're learning opportunities and it's a source of great fun mm. um, to enjoy other people's mistakes <laughs> and to share them and share the fact that we're all twats yeah, yeah. I've used that word because it's acceptable um, to my mum it was my mum's not really <laughs> but my yeah. mum would use that word and I knew it was a it was an admonishment but it was a kind one you know yeah. and it's kind of done with a 
hug at the same time. Yeah. So I find that word utterly acceptable. I know some theatres don't and had to put T-W asterisk T as if that helps. Um, but, you know, and I'm aware that some people have their, you know, their limits with language and stuff. But for me, it's a kindly word. Mm. It's inclusive and so on. So because I was doing that show and I had many more stories to tell than I have got time to tell on stage, I decided to write a book that is a companion to the show with some of the stories from the show, but much more besides. So it, it, that's called The Twat Files. And that's mm. going to be, I think it's... Uh, October. That's right. That, yeah. that, so, so that's what I've been doing. I've been writing that and relearning my show, which starts ah in about two weeks' time. Oh. I go, and I'm all over the country. So maybe you'll find me wherever yes. I am. We, we are, are. We yeah. are planning on... A, on we, uh, we, we would love to go together, yeah. but we might have to go to different places, but we hopefully well, we'll, yeah, we'll be there. So alongside the tour and the book, you've also been doing a bit more work with Jennifer Saunders as well. So A bit of titting about. Death on the Nile as well. Oh, yes. And, yes. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Love that. We did that. I mean, I, I couldn't believe that Ken Branagh had the courage to ask us to perform together really because if we're <laughs> on screen it's usually taking the mick yeah um, especially in a great big huge hollywood film like that you know really we, the temptation we had to have a sort of bits on us <laughs> uh, temptation to misbehave is huge however mm. ken brunner is quite a strict taskmaster mm. and was on it with us and had great faith mm. in us uh, to deliver and in fact mm. i talk in in the twat tour, I talk a little bit about how we hadn't properly prepared and how he picked us up on that. And so I was a bit mad about that. Uh, but it was a fantastic experience to do it. And really, we, you know, we are great friends, Jen and I. We love each other very much. And we do titting about as a podcast, really, to have so some good. Yeah. You know, we just want to be in each other's company. Um, yeah. And we're very, you know, we see each other when we know each other's fan. I'm godmother to her children and all the rest of it. We do we do that part of it, but sometimes we want to have time just us. And and sitting about seemed like the most perfect way to do that. And I've discovered an awful lot about her doing that podcast. Yeah, talk about our childhoods and stuff. And I I I probably know her better than most people. But um, but there are things that really surprised me that I didn't know. So it's oh, it's wonderful. been really good to do it. Really good. Yeah. I think we found that with ours, haven't we? Yeah. That we've discovered more about each other and, and just talking mm -hmm. about life and ministry and love and, and just everything that's going on and, and admitting our mistakes and the things that we mess out, uh, up on. As it just gives you an insight into people in a new way. And it's been, it yeah. Does. You've got a big job, you guys. You know, it's a big, mm -hmm. as young women in the church, you know, which is, it's a tricky old time for you. I'm aware of that. This is difficult. Mm -hmm. To get yeah. people in, to keep people in, mm -hmm. to infuse people and to convince and, you know, encourage. Not easy for you guys. I understand mm -hmm. that. No. Mm -hmm. But we, uh, I think we'd like to kind of finish with a thank you to you mm -hmm. uh, and for the whole team who came together to make it, who just... Mm -hmm normalized us and the amount of times we all get compared to uh, as Geraldine and all this kind of thing yeah. is, is sorry, lovely. I'm not sorry. <laughs> we started the podcast just, just to an answer the question that we all get asked which is is it really like Vicar of Dibley yeah. So now when someone asks us, we can say, oh, we listen to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah. good idea. And, and I mean, the show is about so many things, so I can understand mm. why it would be, um, you know, possible to, to extract all kinds of different mm. themes from it and elaborate yeah. on that. So, yeah, I get that. Good for yeah. you guys. Long Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I had a bit of a, um, as I mentioned earlier, I tend to be the little sentimental, teary one. We had a moment about four episodes ago when, as we were looking back through every season, every episode, like our job now is to shepherd, pastor, you know, minister to people. And we suddenly realised, a penny dropped, that that is kind of what the character of Geraldine Granger had been doing for us. And that we were disciples of Geraldine Granger. I was sharing with the... Honestly, it's true. It's so... It was a little bit shameful. Like, all glory to God, who is the ultimate shepherd, and his son Jesus. But, like, but Geraldine Granger just sits a little bit lower. A bit of a shepherdess. Yeah, yeah. totally. Because I... The only way... Um, for example, I realised that the only way 
way to celebrate something truly is to scream and to run. That's the first thing. <laughs> the second thing is that, um, you know, before you before I got married, for example, I remember going, I'm getting married in the morning. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There are so many moments of our own personal lives and stories, even in ministry, that echo the Vicar of Dibley almost word for word. I've noticed in my ministry, maybe this is too far. Oh, no, my fun girl is spilling out everywhere. But like, even the... <laughs> Even the intonation I use sometimes is very, it'll remind me of Alice or remind me of Geraldine Granger. And uh, it's a legacy that we realise, yeah, it's been that character shepherded, shepherded us, um, pastored us, and has been such a blessing to us as well to give us a platform to stand on and a good place to start when it comes to ministry. And uh, I think, yeah, I just wanted to say we're nuts about Jerry, but we're totally bonkers about Dawn as well. Like, oh. and just the way that you led that character and shaped it. I love what you said about the flaws. Um, yeah, and just really grateful for that legacy, that comfort blanket. Um, yeah. yeah, and yeah. Yeah, good. I mean, it was a, it's a show with um, goodness at the heart of it. And, yes. Uh, yeah. You know, um, and kindness at the heart of it. And so what's not to like about yeah. that you know and it, I, I genuinely believe that it's left a a, a, a proper place in people's hearts you know mm. and that and and that's a credit to writers performers like you sure. say the whole team sure. that bring it together the the lardy dars uh who inhabit the roles are just the fortunate ones at the front but there's mm. a whole team of other people yeah, like that. you say yeah. now there's a whole team of real people and the authenticity of it is the key thing and yeah, the fact yeah. is Geraldine is just a human yeah Actually, she is yeah, yeah. that's human. the most powerful yeah. thing yeah. you know make the world a bit better mm. as she goes yeah. along which is exactly what you guys are doing yeah. I, was, I was looking here I just managed to keep my papers down on my thing with something I stole from oh <laughs> so great <laughs> prop. I, we're with we're, you I'm up to a crime here <laughs> I stole I properly stole this I didn't tell anybody and I can still see because when you get things from prop houses they put a little label on the bottom oh, right? <laughs> put it in my bag and taking it home how appalling is that that's Amazing. so true to the character of Geraldine yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have that <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Kate, do you want to ask your kind of final question? And then I think I've got one last one for you too. Yeah. So um, we just reviewed really the last episode of A Vicar of Dibley as it was released. And then we also talked about the Women Bishops comic release episode as well. There's been a, a, a dribble of the comic relief specials. And I suppose our question is, how does... Geraldine's story end how do you yeah. think it ends have we seen the last of Dibley do you um or is, is she still living happily in the village with Harry um are they mm -hmm. planning to move on um it's how... tempting isn't it it's so tempting um yeah I think she's still married to Harry um what was very interesting was on the very last night of the actual show not all the comic relief specials and stuff but of the actual show um, what they do with a set is that they take it away and usually burn it or whatever. Oh, but really? It's wow. asked for it to be stored. Yeah. Oh. So <gasps> you know, I thought, that's interesting. He's asked for it to be stored. However, however, mm. you know, the unfortunate thing about working with a group mm. of older people is that they're not here anymore. Mm. There is only James Fleet, who was in my yeah. house only three days ago because he was filming oh. something nearby. We oh. are the ones that that's it. Yeah, and I that live, um, and Harry obviously. Um, so I've got a feeling that part of the Vicar of Dibley is done, mm. uh, because it would be wrong to resurrect mm. it without the beloveds. And we've also said goodbye to them in the comic relief special, mm. which was so yeah. hard. But we remembered them. You know, we even kept some of them a bit alive, but at a distance. Mm. Um, people that have actually died. Um, but you know to to have a little memorial for Alice and so on, yeah. which was Emma, you know, which was very hard. And we had, mm. I don't know, 20 takes, yeah. you know, oh, get through it very, you know, very hard to do. Um, and so I feel like the lid is on mm. that. However, uh, you know, if women are allowed to be bishops, 
Mm-hmm. Why isn't she allowed to be a bishop? <laughs> <It wouldn't laughs> See be, a bit more. Be, I don't, it couldn't be in Dibley, but maybe she moves no. to the city. Maybe I don't think I don't think the door is closed. But it's mm. up to Richard Curtis and the BBC. It's not up to me. Mm. But I'd be there if he wanted me to be there. I'd be there. <gasps> oh, please send in this podcast and ask. And finally, when we. Um, when we chatted to Kate Botley, um, she talked to us and she told us to pray for celebrities because there's this whole weird world of celebrity. And um, she was telling us about death threats that she gets and, and you know, she sees herself as very minor celebrity and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's a bizarre world that you are a part of. So we wanted to know how we can pray for you. Well, thank you. And isn't it odd that I, I saw that you mentioned that and I felt oddly guilty about anybody praying for me. It's, oh. it's, I, I thought, oh, no, no, no. Our prayers need to be saved for people who haven't had the fortune that I've had and haven't had the luck and aren't as blessed as I am. That Save your prayers for those people because mm. along with fame comes all these other blessings as mm. well as some other weird stuff that famous people deal with. And I, I've got a f- you know a bit of a theory about fame and it's a bit of a sickness actually people that you know seek it need it and you need to look at why you need it and you need to be sure that you're not looking for love in the wrong places amongst an audience for instance lovely to have it but it's fickle and real and uh you know sticking with your family and your center and understanding yourself well um is what you need to learn to do and if you had to pray at all it's for people to have that truth Mm. know the truth of who they really are and not you know not be swayed along by all the other frothy stuff which is lovely but not real you know I would say that when you know that would be the prayer I think yeah thank you you're welcome Mm. thank you so much for your time it's been amazing to meet you and uh, yeah we're bowled over by all of this fantastic We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Vickers Watch Dibley. Thank you to Toby for editing our ramblings. Any views expressed in this podcast are our own and don't necessarily represent those of the Church of England or any other organisations with which we are affiliated. And as always, bless you for listening. So a man goes to the doctor with hearing problems and the doctor says, can you describe the symptoms to me? And the man says, yes, of course. Homer is a fat yellow bloke and Marge. Is a <laughs> 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 Brilliant. He's got hearing problems. Do <laughs> <laughs> you see? Do you see? <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so, so much. Good. We should have Alice that, shouldn't we? Like, yeah. oh, that's funny because he, he talked about the Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fabulous.